0: welcome back to minor discord i'm one of your hosts sarah i'm the other one
1: kat (laughs)
0: <laughs> Today we are joined by one of our exciting guests, Rosalind Wong. Welcome. Um, I'm waving, but there's no visuals.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll take a wave. I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> it's nice to see that cue. Um, yeah, Rosalind. Rosalind and I go way back from our uh, UCLA years. Not I say like way back. Like we're like seventy, but. Yeah, but welcome, welcome, Rosalind. So, award-winning composer and virtuoso pianist, Juan Rosalind Wong, is the consummate Renaissance woman. As a concert pianist, her playing is recognized for its poetic landscapes, and as a versatile composer, her compositions have appeared in both classical and commercial settings. Rosalind became the youngest to graduate with a doctorate in music from UCLA, where she was a teaching fellow on full scholarship. Her interest in storytelling and film media drew her to the accomplishments of triple bachelors of art and music, English with an emphasis on screenwriting and communication studies. Dang, Rosalind, three, <laughs> three bachelors of arts. I can't believe it. As a mentee of the Women in Animation WIA 2020-2021 Mentorship Circle, Dr. Wong received mentorship and training from Catherine Joy. Since joining the music industry as a media composer, she has completed more than six projects in video game animations, shorts, and commercials, some of which have garnered a cult following on YouTube.
2: Yeah, it's like a animation series I did with my friend back in, well, he was my friend who I knew back in middle school. And we just reconnected and started a series. And there's a bunch of people commenting. I mean, the fans with animations, they're so warm and welcoming, so. I think one of the beauties for writing for animation in terms of the music is like, you get to create the whole world There's no like real sounds and there's a lot of freedom and you can change genres whenever you want. Like there's there's no one singular palette that you're beholden to, unlike if you're doing like a drama series where you have to be suspenseful all the time. (laughs) So it's quite freeing for the music.
0: I'm very excited about today's episode because I actually feel like I know nothing about animation, um film film scoring business um so i'm really excited i have a lot of i feel like terminology questions and and, uh want to know more of like your day-to-day and and i'm sure we'll get into it but yeah i guess you're kind of in the business of like basically storytelling narrative building and like you were saying creating a world i mean music and visual
2: yeah that's what really excites me as opposed to I mean I like and enjoy concert music as well Um, but having not done composition from like age of 10 or whatever um, not having done that I find the writing for media is very inspirational and I feel like a instant burst of like energy whenever I see something and then I want to write for it you know so cool but you
1: started out on piano
2: right taking taking piano lessons from your mom yeah yeah she was more like a neighborhood piano teacher and I fought with her so many times whenever she taught me (laughs) but now looking back I kind of enjoy that slight antagonism of like it's what happens in the real world like if you're working with chamber partners or I guess not in an orchestra you can't really (laughs) um, go over the conductor's interpretation but you know I really enjoy that very early access to discussing what should be there and what what the page is saying and what the interpreter should be saying. As well
0: Did she have very high standards? Did that kind of um, you know push you away from from piano and in terms of performance or was it it was it still kind of like um, did you still have like a passion for it even though it was like your mom kind of
2: you know well in the beginning I'm the one who showed initiative and it was because of my older sister playing and I'm like I want to do it too. I'm sure Kat, maybe you, too.
1: <laughs> no, I can't relate at all, Rosalind.
0: <laughs> For those who don't know Kat's, like, I don't know how many sisters you have. I'm just kidding. Um, many, of her, many of her sisters
2: play violin, including Anna Marie. Hey, Anna. Yeah, so in the beginning, it was kind of like my initiative. And then towards middle school, I felt so much pressure from practicing and being so disciplined when everyone around me was being a child. (laughs) And I wanted to quit around eighth grade. And had I not gone into uh, arts high school where that became my major, I might've slipped away. As you know, I liked other disciplines as well. And I, I mean, up until college, I wasn't thinking like I was only gonna do music even college. I didn't think I was only going to do music. So in eighth grade, that was kind of like the most tenuous time. And then um, after that, I found my people in high school. And then it was just obsession from there on and out.
1: Obsession with music as with a whole. Music.
2: Well, yeah. yeah. And just being really dedicated. And what my mom did, And I did disagree on in the very beginning was all just me trying to be lazy and not practice at all.
1: (laughs) But that's, that's like every young kid
2: who's, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: kind of forced into practicing like an hour a day.
2: Yeah, it is necessary. So, you know, there's parental wisdom there.
1: (laughs) So you were born and you grew up in the LA area. And... You've kind of you've kind of never left. Do you feel like LA is is the correct place for you to be with all of the opportunities it affords for 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 scoring and for musical projects or or have you ever thought about
2: leaving? It's funny because I thought about moving to the east side because it's so different there. <laughs> so LA is so huge and um I still haven't, like, lived on the east side, and that's where all the studios are. So maybe in the future, I'd move there. Um, But, you know, for college, I almost got into, I mean, I almost went. I got into other conservatories and just decided not to leave L.A. It was very difficult to say goodbye, and and that's why I stayed at UCLA for so long. I like the big culture, you know, the influences, the food. It just has everything. It does. It does. And that's very comforting to me.
0: Um, So, Rosalind, can you tell us, you know, maybe blow by blow, how you kind of got into music at at UCLA and when you are Um, interests like shifted. Yeah, because it's it's very interesting. I feel like, um, as a string player, there's just a lot of migrating as a musician. Um, I feel like it's one of the most um, uprooting uh, careers you can have. How did you kind of find your people in LA? And like, when did that kind of culminate for you into where you are now?
2: Right. So, I mean, composition, my people so far were, I met them, like, over the Internet uh, during pandemic. So it's relatively new. I had only started composition, like, around 2019, officially. So 2020, uh, I was thinking, oh, gosh, how am I going to make connections now? Right. Um, luckily, there were so many, you know, outpouring of opportunities online. And actually, you know, the studio is kind of like a mystery in the beginning to you or to anybody who's starting out new. But with the everything going online, it was actually easier to figure out who's behind those doors and then make a connection there. Um, there were you know, these mentorships, there were uh, seminars, talks. Um, I joined a whole bunch of organizations that were, you know, used to be in-person and scrambling to get more um, people to come because it was during pandemic. So some of these organizations include like uh, SCL, AWFC, um, ASMAC,
0: Mm-hmm. For those who don't know the acronyms, do you mind, um, yeah, telling us?
2: Okay, SCL is Society of Composers and Lyricists, which they also have a New York branch for those who um, are interested. They do a lot of uh, music and theater things as well as film. Okay, and then uh, what was the other one? ASMAC is American Society of Music Arrangers and Composers. Oh, this is the one where my mentor is the president of the Alliance for Women Film Composers. And it's four because they include men as well, if you'd like to join.
0: (laughs) Wow. Very nice of them. That's
1: very open. Mm -hmm. So does it work? Do you have to apply and submit some sort of resume or do they accept anyone or?
2: So a lot of them they have a student tier uh, membership. And if you're a student, I highly encourage you to join all of these because it's at a discounted rate and you make uh, connections early on and you will then be in this industry a lot longer than if you just you know, do it afterwards. So um, don't wait. <laughs> a lot of times the opportunities don't judge you just because you're a student right like they'll grant you the opportunities they're there to help boost you up so and from here they assign you a mentor
1: or is this only for some of the
2: yeah you have to apply for the mentorships then okay okay within the program and you submit a portfolio etc and your resume just like a classical you know summer camp or something
1: so has it been fairly difficult to find women-led mentorships then within they don't they would they, they wouldn't match you with like with a a male composer, right? Within
2: these women? They could. I haven't gone to that one or those, okay. but they could, yes. I have to applaud the community for you know building these wonderful. Rapports to, you know, help raise up the next generation of composers.
0: Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Just following the breadcrumb trail.
2: Yeah. You know, they're so supportive. They're always collaborating with each other and sharing each other's opportunities on social media
0: I have like a follow up question from here. So, being um, you know going to school in UCLA and staying there afterwards, what have you seen in terms of the the film slash composition industry? Have you seen it evolve? Where is it going now, in your opinion? And and like, what where do you see yourself um, kind of thriving? And at what what niche do you find yourself? Yeah, looking to kind of
2: infiltrates well um, my motto is to always diversify (laughs) and I don't want to like put myself in a niche although that is I can't deny piano is probably going to be my niche forever like (laughs) anytime anyone needs piano that that'll be my calling card you know Um, but piano is in almost everything so I don't see myself having to uh only do pop or only do classical or only do like new agey things or only do commercials, right? Um and this industry is so competitive that you have to diversify and there's a joy in doing that, right? Because you can learn from other genres. Good music is good music. You don't have to think, oh, uh, it has to have bang-on harmonies for it to be good or real, really hard-hitting percussion to be good. Like, it's if it's good on one front, it'll just be good. I'm no longer a snooty, like, classical musician of 10 years ago that I used to be. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. And once you open your mind to other possibilities, it's just very freeing and you can just play around with the genres. Just trying to
1: establish a timeline here from when when did you kind of when did you start diversifying your skill sets from just just focusing on piano and then branching out into like composing, mixing,
2: producing, like, how did that all start? Like, what timeline that was for me? <laughs> yeah,
1: this was this when you were doing when you were majoring in or doing your triple, excuse me, triple degree, like major.
2: <laughs> did you? Yeah, is I that was when playing you? in dance. I think you weren't here yet, but I I used to have a college band.
1: Yeah, Anna told me about oh, that. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah,
2: Anna played violin in some shows. Um, so I mean, very early interest. Yeah once grad school happened i became really dedicated to piano and i think that took me away from my earlier like undergrad interest and Mm. so it wasn't until after i graduated that i was like well i don't want to be concertizing all the time (laughs) solo piano is a little harder to do just because there's not as much desire to go to a solo piano concert you always have to play in ensembles you know either new music orchestral or you know i mean i live for that stuff but solo piano wasn't a thing so i had to diversify and at that point i was like well what do i really see myself doing and this was i'm going to get a little personal here this was after you know my parents passed away and i realized i don't want to be on my deathbed not having tried this or composition going through composition and that's all I really want to be doing my whole life so um it's important to diversify but always have like that one thing that you're looking towards and doing everything you can to make that your goal yeah I'm still teaching and I'm still playing in ensembles and all of that but Getting into this industry takes it you don't just get a full-time job and that and then you call it a day, you know. You have to um, get your hands dirty and everything. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. It sounds like you've been hustling a lot, especially in the last couple of years like with the with pandemic. How has that affected your 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 self-education, I guess, of like all the composition tools, you've talked a bit about joining different women-led organizations. I don't know if that's happened specifically during the pandemic, but yeah. It was what... the
2: ultimate push. I think the pandemic was the ultimate push because I had been like eyeing them for a very long time. Um, but to really delve in and dive in, yes, the pandemic was the push.
1: Uh, yeah. Could you, could you tell us about these, the tools that you've slowly been adding to your... To your di- your toolbox to like di- diversify your,
2: um, yeah, your- yeah. I- I'll say like um, I'll quote quote Dead Mouse. <laughs> He's like okay. a guy, a-, a kid in his bedroom using just his laptop can make music just as great as like a person who has everything, uh, all the dis- all the tools in their disposal, and that's true. Um, but you will eventually have to learn how to make what you have good. Like, um, don't get obsessed with like adding new gear is what I'm trying to say. So in the beginning, I had Sibelius and I had switched over to Dorico, which is a Steinberg company. So if you don't know, Sibelius is a music notation software where you can plug in your musical ideas into a um musical page that's represented on the computer and at times if you like you can play it back and hear it in real time so you don't have to like practice it yourself it'll just be in tempo dorico is um a parallel software different company same function but they also create uh cubase which is what i mostly compose compose off of um So Cubase is like a blank page where you can put sounds in. It's not heavily notation, although that, that is a view that you can have. And what you write in instead of notes are MIDI notes, which are little Lego blocks that's similar to what classical musicians think of as notation. So these little MIDI blocks can then be be translated into virtual instrument sounds and you're literally performing into Cubase. So all of the expression that doesn't come through once you put notes into Sibelius or Dorico, you can do in Cubase. And that's called expression mapping and expression um, or like dynamic and, other parameters such as like vibrato, tremolo, or, you know, anything you can think of that's sound related, you can then express that into Cubase. So in essence, you're performing into the computer, which we like to say the box. You're performing into the box. So it's kind of like I'm performing, but now I get to use other instruments, not just piano, through the use of my piano. So
0: I'm curious with all these tools and I love the word diversify because instead of like a word like accumulate, you know, um, that kind of feels like there is a definite um, value or or a definite amount of something, but the word diversify feels like there is an endless amount of X that you can acquire have you in your process of diversification of your tools and possibly like exposure have you um, like what's the process for you in terms of like settling into your own aesthetic in your um, you said in the beginning kind of like you don't stick to one genre but um, you also uh, have to make your own music um and your own style its own thing and there are ways to make it better have you what's your like um process and all of that as a composer I'm, I'm sure you've you've thought about this like all the time
2: yeah uh well my voice is definitely the piano and with piano is harmony you can't escape harmony and so with everything that I write Harmony is, like, the forefront of what I'm thinking of, and just it just comes, like, naturally. I can't even help it. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I have to pull back because harmony isn't everybody's cup of tea, and sometimes you get a brief. Brief is when, like, your client tells you what to write (laughs) instead of a pitch. A pitch would be, like, you write something, and then you pitch it to them. So sometimes you get a brief, and they don't want that kind of stuff, so then... um, I'll still try to put some of my voice in. And, you know, as long as it comes from you, it'll still sound like you. I think that there's some sort of a dissonance with people thinking, oh, well, I don't want to water myself down. It's like, you're not watering yourself down. It's still you. You're just, you know, wearing a different outfit that day. So I really um, think that your voice is already there. You just have to have an output, a large amount of output that you can look back to and see, oh well, this is definitely a trait that I have. But if you don't start writing, you won't know that. So just keep writing.
1: <laughs> Sorry, this might be a dumb question, but how do you even go about finding a a brief? How do you or getting a brief from someone or or giving a pitch to someone? How do how do you
2: make that connection? Briefs are giving to people who are already on a roster. So you have somehow made the cut and then they want something from you. And then they select from you.
1: How do you find people who will give you these briefs? Or how do you go about giving giving a pitch to someone? Basically like selling, pitching yourself.
2: Currently, I'm taking a course where ESPN is giving us a brief to write a pop song.
1: Wait, ESPN. Yeah the sports,
2: yeah, yeah, they have a music division and they're celebrating women. It's called 5050 and it they're celebrating women being able to play professional sports. It's oh, called, I know this. Yeah, I think I saw this already. Yeah, it's uh, this really whole cool. Mm-hmm. So they're briefing us to write a pop vocal melody, you know, anthem yeah that's cool does it need words yeah is it just
1: instrumental Ooh,
2: words too words too yes very so, cool
1: like the the lyricist side of you comes out
2: yeah the english major <laughs> um yeah but other than that also you can look for um, licensing companies and join their roster so those are briefs okay Yeah. Pitches. You have to know people. That's sad to say, but you have to have some sort of relationship with them and they ask you to pitch. And
1: how do you go about getting these relationships with people?
2: So a lot of times people who, I mean, this is a male-led industry. Let's get that really clear because... If you look under the credits of everybody who work in the music department, it's mostly men. And I'm not just talking out of my ass. (laughs) There's like real statistics to to support that. And I'm not just like going to throw some statistics. But yeah, you see that a lot of men are in these roles and they're going to ask someone else they know to, hey, come Come shadow what I'm doing. And so that's one way for some really young person to get into the industry. And I'm just going to repeat a story I heard, which is like, let's say a nephew of someone who already works in the studio comes and shadows and they grow up in the studio in a way and they already know all the lingo. They already know how the ship is run they know stuff. Then, you know, when college comes, they're like, Oh, I could just do this. I already know this, but then they don't absolutely love it. You know, they get boxed into this role that they've come to know and are comfortable in. So you get then another generation of people who don't, who aren't really passionate about what they're doing. Whereas for women, you have to like, you're so passionate about it. I know so many women who are so passionate and they have the knowledge, they have the talent, but there's just like, Uh, there's just like a bottleneck of like, how do we get into that room? And then once you get into that room, how do you not get sidelined? How do you just get the power to produce, get the power to, you know, um, engineer and run the ship, so to speak. So that's when I brought up equity over equality.
0: Yeah, I think it was um, Ruth Crawford Seeger who... I recently read an article about um, one of her pieces and oh gosh, I'm blanking on, the author is a Asian American uh, professor and um, actually a graduate of the Graduate Center. Um, And this article kind of went through Ruth Crawford Seeger's um, struggle as, you know, being a woman composer. You talked about getting into a room. Well, she was never really invited into a room. She had to listen to, like, a bunch of composers um, intervening in this conference room from outside the door, and she caught, you know, whispers of the meeting. Um, And she wrote this this piece that, you know, in the— in a different lens, you could see it um, kind of adhering to more standard compositional techniques. You know, having a climax, having a kind of a swell format. But um, if you look at pitch content or other things like register, the climax is actually somewhere else completely. And so, it it it's composition has been a male-dominated art form, like from the beginning. I feel like it's, um, yeah, I want to go back to the word diversify because you actually gave us such an amazing statistic. Only 5% of programmed composers in 2021 were
2: female. And only like 1% were Asian slash Black. They had to like combine those two. (laughs) Yeah. Together to even get that 1%. Yeah.
0: You're you're really brave to be. I mean, basically, you are in that one percent, right? So, do you find that the industry is evolving? Um, how do you kind of navigate that? Because, um, yeah, like, how do you how
2: do you find yourself getting into the room? Well, to navigate that. That's where equity comes in. (laughs) So there are so many special programs now where they're raising up women specifically. And it's not every day that, I mean, I think this is a newer trend where you see so many programs pushed out with funding to support women composers. And we need these opportunities because equality is not enough. Because equality just means you have the same chances of getting in. Equity is recognizing all the complicated backgrounds and, and systemic issues that already exist. We don't you know, live in a vacuum. These inequities do exist. Like growing up, maybe you didn't have as much access. To certain things than uh, the next guy did. So it's recognizing that these issues already happened and fixing it and trying to append it and make up for it. So these special programs are especially important and that's what helps get you into the room and to build your resume in a way where you can't just say, oh yeah, I sat into my uncle's garage studio for, like, 12 years already, and I'm only, like, 20.
0: <laughs> like you only can't,
2: <laughs> yeah, you're only 12, right? You can't, it's, in order to make up for that, we need these special programs, and I'm happy to be a partaker of these programs, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, it's kind of, like,
0: taking up space and organizations and, um, Participating and exercising your agency um, in spaces that are created for people like you, like taking it ad- taking advantage of these organizations, has really put you on the map or put you in a place where um, people are listening to you differently.
2: Yeah, and talking to people who are in similar situations really help with what we call imposter syndrome. (laughs) I think even, even in piano, I still have imposter syndrome. And that's something I am like a pro in. And I, so in like our upbringing, or at least my upbringing, I always felt like I'm not good enough. And especially when you switch careers, you're gonna have these doubts but having the avenue to talk with other female composers really helped with the imposter syndrome that I've experienced because everyone's in the same boat. Literally everyone feels the same kind of like you're teetering on the precipice all the time. You're at the you're flying by the edge of your seat and everyone else is doing the same thing. So recognize that and and know you're good enough. Like What you have, somebody else doesn't have that too, right? So you are special. You can do what you want to do and just make it happen. Mm. So recognize that your imposter syndrome is there, but then that's okay too.
0: Mm. It's
2: almost like, I feel like in my head,
0: imposter syndrome to combat it is to like level up. Like every time I level up, I've granted more uh value to the seat around the table like but i think that it almost fuels the imposter syndrome the more you level up it's to actually feel like you are living with this these doubts that you know we'll call imposter syndrome like that will always be there but to kind of not
2: tiptoe around it but to Just recognize it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and name it. And, you know, we always play classical pieces that are so good. It's hard to not compare yourself to amazing works of art. So stop doing that and just know that, you know, you have your own unique thing. You don't always have to compare yourself to Beethoven Fifth. Why is it so perfect? I don't know, you know, <laughs> Beethoven Ninth. It's just like, you know, Mozart, anything he wrote, you can't compare yourself to that, right? So just recognize that and think of the future, I say. Mm.
0: This is my, this is kind of another, I'm, I'm like going off on a rant with my questions. Um, and we're totally going off script. So thanks for indulging me. Um, Yeah. Do you feel like in your compositional process, like ever feeling pressured that your music has to have a political message or undertone or explicit, you know, kind of um, having double meaning? Is is that ever something that you've felt pressure in terms of incorporating? Most
2: of the times people want like on the nose meaning. (laughs) They want you to actually say what it means. Um, And I do do struggle a little bit with that just because I'm more of an ambiguous, I like a a thin veil over what I say, (laughs) Um, but people want it completely open. And so it is a, a little struggle that I have to convince myself, okay, it's all right. If you don't tell people what it's about, they cannot guess it. Like, they literally can't read your mind, right? And so, like, I currently am writing a classical piece for uh, a hornist, French hornist. And she asked me to write something about what the song was, what this piece is about. And I was like, oh, there needed to be a message. Whoops. (laughs) Hmm. But um, you know, if I think deeper, there was a message. I just wasn't thinking about it when I was writing it. Yeah, interesting. But you have to. Some. I mean, you have to find the message in what you write as well. Even if it wasn't, it's something is going on in your mind. You just have to analyze it and figure it out what it was. Do do
1: do you mind if we go back to this idea of imposter syndrome? I was just wondering, I don't know if this is how you feel too, but I feel like most of the time I ever have a conversation about imposter syndrome, it's usually with, it's usually, or whenever I hear about it, it's usually coming from a female perspective. (laughs) And I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about why this is so prevalent, such a prevalent feeling amongst female artists especially or female creators will just say
2: well I think it's so difficult to like say exactly why but it <laughs> yeah. is a scary trend right like I rarely hear males talk about it they never
1: yeah. I, or if they feel it, they never admit it
2: yeah I think it must be the way the we've been brought up you know and yeah yeah I grew up that way Um, but I think many girls will attest that there's something about like propriety I guess that res like that kind of trickled down from just years of like wearing corsets (laughs) in the past where girls are like meant to be wait like waiting at the wings and you know not like waiting in the wings and then waiting for your turn and like we're expected to have all this patience. Mm. And when really men don't even think about these things. They they just go for it, right? Yeah. I think um
0: I'm going back to my Ruth Crawford Seeger string quartet piece because I just think it's fascinating. Um and applicable to this Point in the conversation where we're talking about, yeah, men versus women in the arts. I feel like the anecdote in this article that I read felt, and this piece actually felt like Ruth Crawford Seeger had to almost show that she could play the men's game and she could play the game that composers at the time were playing. Um, And to actually gain footing in her field, she had to show up, you know, that I can play, I can do composition in this way and I can make art in this with these um, rules in mind, Um, but it's only after that kind of proving of oneself at the certain game with the certain conventions and rules, that her real voice um, was then legitimized, you know, um, That's I was still happening. Yeah, I wonder if you could speak on that. And if that has ever happened to you or people that you've known, in terms of like, yeah, um, your art in and of itself isn't enough. And, or at least won't be taken seriously because you're a woman and only after you've legitimized your, you know, diverse toolbox and you've proven yourself in the men's studio can you then play your own game.
2: This might—I don't know if I can say this might be controversial, I don't know. But, like, the latest uh, Oscar nominee, Germaine Franco for Encanto— She did exactly that, which is she had to prove herself um, working in a men's studio, who is John Powell, one of her largest supporter now. Years of, you know, writing for him, writing with him, but not getting the credit per se, like you don't get to headline the credit. And now that she has Encanto out in nomination, unfortunately she didn't win but um it was really momentous for all the women in history to see that she got recognized and even when uh, before the nomination people were just saying or to her face and i heard this in an interview with her um they were like oh walt disney really gave you a chance right to give you this (laughs) role to to write for a major movie and it's like no she's done so much she has so many credits but you know under John Powell so yeah she still had to prove herself you know to an industry of people with the power and the money who are male she had to prove that in order to get this gig this major gig and unfortunately It's still happening today. What's happening to Ruth Crawford Seeger? Yeah, even after all their success. Yeah. I would like to have more like of a chat about the issue that Catherine was asking the tunnel vision question. Like, but all three of us chatting about it. (laughs) Oh,
1: what do you want to know, Rosalind?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Throwing the question back at you. Not really. (laughs) in the tables yeah what what is coloring in the line look like when you were growing up like were you ever given that edict coloring the line within the lines yeah
1: yes I would say I think that's also kind of my disposition I don't think I'm much of a I don't think I have like a super strong rebellious streak um at least I don't act on it. Even if I think differently, I don't always act on it. Um, but I think, just like traditionally speaking, with within our our careers, I think from a young age, we're just taught like there are certain there are certain steps you do in order to become a classical musician. Even if you're not like intentionally aware that you're that you're kind of going through through those motions.
2: Um, Oh, sorry. So that made me think of something like in the composition industry, you can't just apply for a job like it's not listed anywhere. And so in this kind of more guerrilla like arena, you can't color within the lines. There is no next step. So you have to just survey the the field and kind of like go for it. And in in like this weird way, like it's there's no linear way to get there, right? So maybe that's why mm, those two things relate.
1: <laughs> I think I think that's exactly why the compositional realm and like industry is so foreign to me because I can't imagine a place like or a career within music where it's where you are creating the lines, you know, you're drawing your own lines which is like freeing, but also a bit scary just because I've, I've done the kind of cookie cutter, you know, con- like college then conservatory, you know, two degree thing and then take an audition. So that's, that's where I think I'm very inspired by, by drawing out the lines, but I think, yeah, I think I was one of those, those kids who stuck.
2: Just a little side note. I, I just think, um, being able to be outspoken and and bug the person that you view is like going to be your person is very Mm -hmm. important and I struggle with that sometimes like I don't want to bother someone who's way above me in terms of like their career too much but you really do have to um go for it and I think a lot of men don't feel any qualms doing that (laughs) um I need to learn myself how to just go and repeat asking for this person to get a coffee with me and then expecting nothing, right? You can't expect to get like just a job opportunity, but you're placing your name in their minds so that if like something piano came up, that's my calling card, they'll think of me. Even if it's not a composition thing, it could lead to a composition thing.
0: Yeah, I feel like the fact that you're reflecting and surveying and um you know adapting to the situation at every step almost makes it feel like can you have imposter syndrome, you know, if your comparison if your um kind of lineage or your timeline going forward is so unique to you you know like um, I'm sure there are ways to still have those kind of voices coming in and out of of your of your mind but I feel like almost the imposter syndrome is or at least the comparison when you're doing something more like what everyone's been doing and you know there are fewer paths to take and fewer um, unique paths to take is, is harder to get away from the comparison. It's almost like that freedom is um, empowering to your own narrative because you're making it up um, you know, sans other people doing the same or similar thing. But I agree with Kat, it's still pretty daunting.
1: Yeah. Like your unique journey is your own empowerment
0: mm. because it, because of its uniqueness. Is that what you meant, Sarah? Would be very unique to your situation, I guess, is what I'm trying to, to, to get at. Like the imposter syndrome for my own life is like, oh, people have been doing this for way longer. Like, like you know, I don't deserve to be here or, um, there's so much room for improvement. Is this, is this the right place for me or something like this? Or I don't know, I guess everyone can have those thoughts, but I just was trying to convey that it would, for me, thinking about Rosalind's um, journey, it, it just feels so personal. And, you know, it's kind of like what I'm hearing is you're, Making up the rules as you go. And there are no lines to color in or w- within. So, um, yeah, it's just a maybe a different take on the imposter syndrome.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I really like that because you're freeing if you think that way then you're freeing yourself from like trying to follow someone else's footsteps and be like well at age this they already did that so I'm already behind (laughs) you can't do that it's a totally different situation it's a unique situation um yeah I wanted to say that if you're led by doing something that you love you absolutely love then that love will overtake whatever insecurities that you have because you you would just be drawn to it. And what you make after you, like that happiness you get after you make something of your own, you can treasure that and then look back and see, wow, that was really cool that I did that, right? Like I remember in college, I just contracted an orchestra (laughs) and cat played in it right like thinking back whoa I contracted an orchestra I mean I'm not doing contracting work right now like I'm not contracting other musicians but to think that I did that at one point is really cool so you always you should always celebrate your wins from before and if you don't celebrate your wins you're never going to see how far you did go and you've come yeah I have a two-parter question. Okay, so
1: two-parter. Get ready. Uh oh. First, <laughs> first part. Um, is there anything that you wish that you had knew you had known earlier um, before you've taken on this uh, role of like Renaissance woman, juggling all these different things? And the second thing, second part. Is what advice would you give to, to let's say what, what advice would you give to anybody who's who's trying to diversify their skill set or are just unhappy with, with with being like a one one trick pony?
2: <laughs> I'm gonna address that question first. There is no one trick pony, don't think that you will be really, you're really good at what you're doing. That's what you should think. And if you're trying to diversify beyond what you're doing, then you just remember how long it took for you to get that way, like that, get that good with the one thing that you're good at, right? It took years. So if you remember when you're learning the instrument that you're playing, that was hard. And that, dissonance, that hardship is learning. And it's sometimes very difficult to remember that because it was so long ago. And now you've mastered something like even like writing was difficult when you were a kid, learning how to write. So if you're okay with feeling like you're a kid again, that's how you diversify. (laughs) Because you have to overcome the fact that Maybe your ego is a little bruised because you're literally learning something totally new and foreign to you. You need to overcome that ego and just be like, okay, I'm only going to absorb. And then you'll be able to make connections and make patterns and build upon the, those knowledge that you're learning. Yeah.
1: That's kind of how I've always thought of you because you're, you do have like this, like, you have a lot of wisdom. I think Sarah and I can both attest to that from listening to you right now, but you also have a really youthful energy to you where like, you are like a sponge. I feel like you've always, every time I would see you at UCLA, they were like, oh, I'm going to this class or I'm going, which like didn't have anything to do with music or like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to this seminar or like you'd be writing something or like, and you weren't, yeah. I don't think you were even like a composition major at that time. You're just, you know, doing it. But I think that, that, that what you said about like being embracing your like inner child again when learning something new is super, yeah. super valuable to, to remember.
2: Yeah, it's that intuition and following that intuition and then your other question the first part (laughs) um some lessons that I wish I knew earlier I think I got caught up in some negativity in college and I want to get rid of all of that negativity right being a positive vibe is so helpful in life and you know surrounding yourself with positive people and um not thinking that one type of music is better than the other because that's so not true and once you're out in the real world you'll realize that and it took me like a good couple of years out of school to realize that I I needed to get rid of that thinking just being very positive and having that outlook and imagining where you can be like I try to wake up every day and think what do I want in two years, right? I have like this list of things that I want to hit. And this year I hit something like, oh, I'm on IMDb. I know it's like a stupid little thing, but like, yay, I'm on there. I Yay. So, (laughs) but I, that was like a goal that I had for this year and I already made it like within the first month so then cool what else is there and then like dream bigger and and bigger and bigger and having that positive thought in your head all the time you'll have no time to think negatively right you can't just yeah stuff yourself with like good thinking that's all I can say yeah
1: (laughs) and be proud of your IMDB that is a Uh, big accomplishment
0: Sarah, do you have an IMDb? I do not, but, you know, by next month, that's going to be <laughs> my goal. Yeah. I'm going to diversify, grow my cult following, and be on IMDb. Just, just you wait. <laughs> I think this is a great place to sign off the pod. Thank you so, so much, Rosalind, for... Your time and just sharing your experience and educating Kat and I. Cat and me. Um, you say educating? Educating, yes. What does that mean? Edumacating. I don't know. It's just a fun way of saying educating, educating oh. like educating me, educating. But yeah, I think this is an amazing um, reflection and like all of the things that we've talked about um if there's really a theme in our podcast which is empowerment and i hope <laughs> lol <laughs> i hope our podcast is empowering oh, we're making everyone feel like crap <laughs> yeah and we're putting that out on the internet um and empowerment and and like education, like i said and i hope positivity i feel like this is the whole idea of like feeling like a child again and and being a sponge and basically um just accepting what comes our way is is really um like a mental like it state to be like a ninja yeah. yeah a positive ass ninja i love it <laughs>
1: and everyone go check out Roslyn's imdb <laughs> we want we want
0: <laughs> have hits by next week that's right. She's like going to wake up and check her me each day. Wow. I mean, I don't know if that's how it works, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, until next time, keep
1: feeling around.
0: <laughs> bada, bada, bada.